0: And so um, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 15. We've been going on this journey with the first Christians ever, um, following them through this historic account in the book of Acts of what it looked like to be a Christ follower in the first century of Rome, shortly after Jesus had been crucified, was resurrected, and then in, in the presence of hundreds of people ascended into heaven. Like there was a lot of pressure. Um, there was a wicked Roman emperor who was trying to stamp out Christianity. Um, Christians didn't have a whole lot going for them, other than God himself as the Holy Spirit had arrived and was showing them the way and performing incredible, incredible miracles in and through them. And so we just saw last week the very first missionary journey, literally the first time Christians had gathered together and said, you know what, we need to intentionally equip and send people out to go reach people that we're not going to be able to reach on our own. And so we see Barnabas and Saul take off on the first missionary journey. Now, I told you to read 13 and 14, Acts 13 and 14, um, yourselves throughout the week, just to kind of follow their journey, all the places they went, all the miracles that God performed, the many people that came to follow Jesus. And it circles back around to the end of chapter 14. They arrive back in Antioch where they started. Now, some of you are quite familiar with what happens when church people um, hang out with one another long enough. Um, they create problems for themselves. Yeah, the more people you stuff into one building over a length of time, chaos is inevitable. This is just how it works, um, we people, we like messing things up for ourselves. Well, the first great debate is now beginning within the church. The first big point of contention between Christ followers and this brand new Jesus following ministry. Like uh, now that people are at odds with each other, they're, they're discussing, they're debating over doctrine to see what they as a church are going to, to be, going to believe and how they were going to live it out. And it's this very uncomfortable Uh, Situation that we're going to look at. Um, Now, let me just say as a disclaimer, like um, as we look at their story, most of us are going to think, hmm, can't really relate to that. And then I'm going to spend some time relating it to us. Um, And that's going to be offensive to many of us, just to call it what it is. Um, Let me just go ahead and tell you um, my goal today, though, though there are times as an equal opportunity offender that I try to offend everybody equally, Um, This isn't one of those days like our goal today is not to offend you. Our goal today literally is to set you free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the way to being set free, though, it will be disorienting for some, if not many. And so I want to tell you the same thing JJ said about our finances. Uh, If you have further questions after today... Call and schedule appointment. We'd love to talk to you about it. And I want to offer the same same invitation to you. If some of the stuff we talk about today is so disorienting and, and uprooting for you, and you're what with Jesus, that it's causing you like you've got a million more questions and you need to just kind of hash that out and debate that a little bit, like I want to make our elders available to you for that. I think some of what we'll talk about today may cause some if not many of us to feel that way so we'll make ourselves available to answer some of these hard questions that today may leave you with but let's just start with what happened here with them and then we'll translate it into our story right now in the 21st century Uh, chapter 15 all these incredible things were happening people can't just enjoy what's going on and celebrate it nope somebody's got to complain somebody's got to have a problem and so while God was reaching Gentiles by the tens of thousands with the gospel, chapter 15, verse 1 says, but some men, don't be one of them, but some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers or the disciples, the followers of Jesus, specifically here that are males. Um, and you'll see why here in just a second. Um, Unless you are circumcised, I won't have you say that word after me. I usually have y'all emphasize the keyword." Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, in other words, like either born into the Jewish faith and circumcised on the eighth day after you were born, or when you decided to renounce your pagan religions, join Judaism, gentlemen, hate to break it to you, you would have had to undergo a procedure to join the Jewish faith. So, what these guys are teaching is unless you have been circumcised according to the custom of Moses, You cannot be saved. You can't be a follower of Jesus, they're saying. Now, after Paul and Barnabas, who were Jewish boys, um, had no small dissension in debate with them, so obviously they debated this for a while, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to a group to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through, they just kept doing ministry as they were going, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail Even Samaritans being converted to the gospel. And they were just celebrating this. This brought great joy to a lot of the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had been doing with them and how exciting it is to see the gospel go forth. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, which is where Saul came from as well. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees rose up and said... It's necessary to circumcise these new followers of Jesus, and we need to order them to keep the law of Moses as well. Uh, Now, just so you know, the law of Moses wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was 633 commandments. Uh, As a matter of fact, most of y'all broke the law of Moses yesterday because on Saturdays, you would not be allowed to remove a gnat, yes, a gnat, by swatting at it, because that was considered work according to the law of Moses. The only way to remove a ganat from your face on a Saturday was with your thumb and your index finger. It was a law that had gone far off the rails. God gives his people a good thing, and then the longer we are left with that good thing, we will make it an us thing. And we had transformed it in this unreachable, unattainable, absolutely ridiculous law The people just couldn't meet up to that standard. But they believe, these Jews believe, hey, we're keeping the law of Moses. This is how God has told us to honor him. So anybody that's going to follow Jesus needs to do the same thing. Now, why, why this was a little disorienting to everybody involved is, remember, we talked about back in Acts chapter 10, like to a Jew, they did not believe that they were converts to Christianity for a Jew like their whole lives they had been hearing the prophecies of old every prophet ever had said that one day God is going to send a messiah and so the Jews have been clinging to this forever and so once Jesus came those that believed that he was the messiah they believed that following him was just the next right step in Judaism this was just God fulfilling his promises makes sense Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, was the king of the Jews. And so they're like, you know what, for us, this is still our world and our religion. This is just God doing a new thing through what he has promised he's gonna do since the beginning of time. Now, the Gentiles, on the other hand, did not see, they saw themselves as converts because they had renounced their pagan gods to follow Jesus, plain and simple. And all that would have been well and good if it wasn't for this fact that Jews are now confused, like how can you as a Gentile possibly follow the Jewish Messiah Jesus without becoming Jewish first? Good question. And they're wrestling through this and they're wondering, so what they conclude is, you know what? Surely in order to follow Jesus, you also have to be Jewish and keep all the laws and customs. Even the hard ones, even the silly ones, it's got to be done in order to follow Jesus. But Paul and Barnabas and James, they'd been traveling, seeing the Holy Spirit capture the hearts of Gentile people, seeing people like you and me receive the Holy Spirit even without becoming Jewish. And so they come back and they're ready to debate this. They're like, apparently this isn't how God works Apparently, this isn't his plan. As a matter of fact, you can read the whole debate as you read um, the rest of chapter 15 there, but let me zero in on something that Peter said that kind of shut everybody up. This is what he said. Verse 10, he says, Now therefore, Peter says, Now therefore, listen, Jewish brothers and sisters, like, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of these new disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, We haven't been able to pull it off. What makes you think they're going to be able to pull it off? But, verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will as well. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, what their argument was, man, it's the grace of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection that is enough for whosoever would believe. What they're saying is, is it's by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, and that's it. That's how you get saved. What they were saying is it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the whole deal. This was the big debate. It was very difficult. Now, aren't, you, aren't you thankful? By the end of the debate, they, they decided, you know what, you're right. We're seeing the Holy Spirit work through people who aren't Jews. Obviously, Jesus is also rescuing Gentiles like you and me, Grace Bible, who didn't have to convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. He's doing a new thing in the life of Gentiles. And aren't you thankful like, that, that it's not Jesus plus the whole list of things in order to try to be saved and be acceptable by God? We would fall a million miles short every time we tried. I'm so grateful that as I read Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. I'm grateful as I read Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine that remind us, it is by grace, Grace Bible, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not Jesus plus a to-do list or a to-don't list. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, we, ex- we exhaust a lot of energy here and a lot of resources and a lot of preaching. And I wear myself out every Sunday trying to make sure and trusting the Holy Spirit to make sure we have a right view of who Jesus is. I don't want our our view of Jesus to be colored by the modern context, to be colored by the front page of the newspaper. I want you to see Jesus as he introduces himself and the word of God so that you can have a right view of the king of glory. So you can worship the king of glory and not make the mistake of worshiping an idol that you created in your head with your feelings and wrote Jesus's name on that idol. This is why we're so serious about preaching the gospel into all the stuff of the word of God. You see Jesus come alive in all these things. We want everybody to have a right view of him. But let's be honest, like, we got to give these guys a little bit of a break for getting it wrong. I mean, for believing that it's Jesus plus a list of other things in order to follow him. I mean, imagine growing up your whole life believing things have to be a certain way to honor God. And then all of a sudden it changed. I mean, imagine not only growing up believing that, but practicing that. Your parents practiced that. Your great-grandparents practiced that. You could count off 20 generations of your family lineage that practiced that. Like, no wonder it was confusing. No wonder it was difficult. Just imagine what it must have been like to have been them, like, finally, like, coming face to face with the grace of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. It must have been so disorienting. But I bet you this morning not all of you even have to imagine that because some of you are living that right now. Or have grown up in that. And some of the greatest gospel work that the Holy Spirit either has done or is about to do in your life, and some of y'all will be this morning, is to set you free from the yoke of bondage that has been placed upon you by religion and men. Yes. I told you this may get a little offensive and disorienting, but the goal is to set you free through the power of the gospel. The same thing that Peter and Paul and Barnabas were trying to do, so that you can behold the King of glory clearly and know that it's not Jesus plus fill in the blank that's legalism transformational power of the holy spirit life being reoriented renewing of the mind hope is in heaven totally transformed from who we used to be that's done through jesus and in him alone having a right view of him confessing him as the lord of our lives recognizing that he is king and we are not and allowing the holy spirit to do a work in us that only he can do, But let's be honest, we have a lot of Jesus plus fill in the blanks. And I bet we have a lot of Jesus plus fill in the blanks in the room this morning. So me and the pastors, we kind of kicked around some stuff like, hey, as you were growing up, what are some of the things you picked up? It was Jesus plus fill in the blanks. That'll probably touch on some of the, uh, some of the folks in our church family. So let's just start here. This is, this is one of the ones that I know for a fact has still not been broken yet, even in the culture of GBC, because I have conversations with people about this all the time. And it's, well, if you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to have to fix you first. That's Jesus Plus fixing you first. You can't fix you. I can't fix me. And I know the church throughout history has done such a horrific job of standing at the gates of their ivory towers And letting people know with the looks on their faces, the attitudes of their heart, and the words of their mouth, that, man, if you're not like us, you don't belong here. That grieves the heart of our king. We didn't build these places to be museums. We built them to be hospitals. And I know that there's people in this room that have not yet trusted Jesus with their life, surrendered their life to him, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, confessed Jesus as Lord, whatever it is. I know that there are people in this church family and watching online that haven't done that yet because they are walking under the illusion, under the lie, and the enemy loves whispering it to you. The devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, he, he loves convincing you that, well, once you get this part of your life sorted out, then you'll be ready to follow Jesus. The lie he's telling you is that following Jesus is the finish line when the gospel tells that following Jesus is the starting line. You can't fix that until you come to him. And if you haven't noticed, you've been trying long and hard. You can't pull it off. Maybe it is that very infirmity, that place of suffering that Cameron talked about earlier that is going to drive you towards King Jesus. So that's the place where he does his greatest gospel transformation in you. But you can't do it on your own. You come to Jesus. Let him do the cleaning. Hey, and give, give ch- church people, church people, y'all listening? Give people a little space. You know, some grace, kind of like what the Lord gave you. G- give them a little space for that transformation in their life to take a little bit of time. Just because you come... To a right belief system doesn't mean you're going to have a right behavior system the next day. Man, give, give people the same space that the Holy Spirit gives you to like struggle through the transformation process and the sanctification journey of him shaping you and changing you. Be okay with them confessing Jesus as Lord but not having it all figured out yet. You know what I'm saying? Leave a little space for grace. I tell you, King Jesus gave it to us. He gave it to his apostles but continue to nurture and disciple those towards Jesus, pointing them to King Jesus, helping them see clearly what God has called them to do and what God has planned for their lives. You can't fix you first. What about, um, man, we got a bunch. What about Christians don't smoke, drink, chew, or hang with those who do now? Nah. What about that one? <laughs> I've heard that in sermons. What about that, huh? Is Jesus plus not smoking, drinking, or chewing, or hanging with those that do? Amen. Is that what it is? Amen. That's how we get saved. It's like not only our belief system is supposed to yield perfect behavior right out of the gate. Come on, man. Just just follow Peter's life through the gospel, for real. Just follow Peter's life through the New Testament and watch how many times Paul or one of the other apostles or Jesus himself had to snatch him back up and say, what are you doing? Man, sometimes it takes time. Man, allow space for the Lord to do his work. Don't create laws that God has not created for us. It's not Jesus plus your set of laws so that everybody else around you can be saved. It's just Jesus plus nothing. You're not the king of glory. We aren't the king of glory. He is. Um, what about some of y'all that are in this boat, man? Well, what, do you, what do you mean you didn't feel anything? Like, man, when I gave my life to Jesus, oh, I felt the weight of the world come off my shoulders. Man, when they dunked me in that tub, I came out, I just felt like a tingle from my head to my toe. And I'm sitting over there like I'm the preacher of this church, and I'm thinking, well, dang, I ain't never felt any of that before. <laughs> like... I'm like, some of the stuff that I was struggling with the day before I got saved was some of the same stuff I was struggling with the day after I got saved. Man, I was expecting that big jailbreak moment too, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I just, man, some of, y'all, some of y'all was strung out on crack, or, and then you found Jesus, and the next day he sobered you up and cleaned you up just like that. We praise God for that. I mean, I praise, I know he does that kind of work. I'm not trying to undermine that, but what I'm saying is like, it's people like you that usually get the cool testimonies, and then we get to hear from, and it makes the rest of us think, well, my life don't look anything like that, so I wonder if I'm even saved, because I, I didn't feel like that. I'm still struggling with some of the same stuff, you know what I'm saying? Hey, uh, let me give you a quote of, from, from Dr. Adrian Rogers. He says this work, Grace Bible, God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest pools. I'll let that resonate in your bones for a second. God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest pools. So yes, God can work through our feelings. I praise God when our team's leading us in worship and I feel just like that transcendent, like, man, I feel like I'm talking to the king, like singing to the king. And I love like feeling the feelings of my relationship with Jesus. But like Dr. Adrian Rogers nails it there. When God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest pools. I would venture to say that the greatest transformational work God is doing in your life, you don't even know about. Because if you're anything like me, And God gave me the feelings, and I knew he was at work, I'd try to help. And I'd mess it up. I'd try to speed it up. I'd get in the way. I'd try to slow it down, depending on what it is. God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest pools of our hearts. It is Scripture that tells us that he sings over us and dances over us while we are unaware. I would say some of the times that God is nearest to us, we don't even realize some of the times that God's doing the most significant stuff, we don't see it or feel it at all. And so don't be under the illusion because you didn't feel a certain feeling that you aren't a follower of Jesus. But I, I would also say, like, man, there is something beautiful about a tr- truly recognizing and acknowledging that Jesus is king. Man, even though I didn't feel some sort of, like, you know, mystical feeling, like, man, th- there was a joy in my heart that I finally realized. There was a certain peace in my heart that I finally knew the king of glory. It didn't fix all my circumstances around me at all. But, like, there was a different kind of assurance in me because I knew that King Jesus was the Lord of my life, and I could trust him. And I hope that you have that same assurance as well. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember um, one time growing up, a guy in our church gave his life to Christ. And, like, the thing they celebrated more is, oh, G- old Jim Bob gave his life to Christ, And did you see on Sunday he even covered up his tattoos? Praise God. I'm like, who comes up with this stuff? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So now do you say the evidence of salvation is tattoo covering, Jesus plus tattoo covering? Come on, man. Stop playing. We make all kind of laws, lay the burdens on the shoulders of people. What about this one? Okay, now I'm about to, okay, here we go. Mostly you lifelong, staunch church folk. What about if it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. What about this thing of walking an aisle and praying a prayer? Is that what saves people? Now, some of y'all walked the aisle and prayed the prayer, so did I. I never forget, man, sitting there just like clutching the church pew in front of me, all white-knuckling that thing. I'm sweating, I'm thinking, oh no, Lord. There's gotta be another way. <laughs> but not according to my preacher. It's like, you ain't saved unless you come down front, dear, and just as I am, you know what I'm saying? That's the only way. <laughs> Woo, the pressure. Jeez, man, I've gotta do a whole public song and dance. Let people know I'm saved. There's nothing wrong with walking an aisle and praying a prayer. That's a beautiful public confession of what Jesus has done. But, like I tell you, what's wrong with it is the fact that there were many years of my life and even the lives of people I knew and loved who longed to give their hearts to Jesus, but didn't believe that they could or that they had until they walked the aisle. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by works, even Christian works. And some of y'all gave your life to Christ sitting on the side of your bed. Some of, some of y'all, the Holy Spirit snapped you out of a drunken stupor one night when he spoke into your heart in such an irresistible way. And thank God, like, you didn't think, well, I better call the church secretary to open the church and drag Pastor Dustin out of bed so I can get saved. I'm glad y'all didn't do that. I told y'all, you, you talk to Jesus yourself. I'm going to sleep, you know what I'm saying? Good luck. We'll talk tomorrow during business hours, you know. Holy Spirit's asleep. What you mean he spoke to you in the middle of the night? No, I'm playing. Okay, that's messed up. Sometimes I get out of hand. Jeez. No, but the Lord can grab you and grip you in any kind of way, in any kind of place. Walking around praying a prayer is a beautiful thing. But it doesn't either make you saved or not saved. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are coming from church background religious background where you were told and convinced and, and even scripturally speaking convinced that like you had to be become a member of a certain church or be baptized into a certain church to be saved. Jesus told us in John 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So if anyone claims that they are certain affiliation, they may call it a denomination, but if they say, no, 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 Jesus teaches that our church is the way, our church is the truth, and our church is the life, I would say that's not a church, that's a cult. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And Jesus uses all kind of beautiful expressions of the people of God to, to, for people to experience the power of God through them. From Philip preaching to an Ethiopian on a desert road, to people standing in Jewish synagogues preaching the gospel, to people just walking down the street hearing the gospel shared by friends. They weren't connected to such and such a church or affiliation, now were they? That came along a whole lot later in history, so they can't be right, can they? That's Jesus plus our church. That's wrong. That ain't it. All right, now that you're getting warmed up. um, I know that there are folks in our church family, and I know that there are plenty of even some Christian denominations that believe this. So I say this with humility, but I also say this with utmost confidence in the gospel. Um, There's plenty of... Folks, and plenty of teaching that uh, leads us to believe that we have to be baptized in order to be saved. Who's squirming in their seat now? We have to be baptized in order to be saved. Now, let me ask you: Like, is it right and good for followers of Jesus to take the next step of what we call believers' baptism? Is that right and good thing? Is it modeled for us that Jesus himself do it to show us, like, hey, here's, here's, here's what I want my disciples to do. I want them to have this public profession of faith, to declare their surrender to me. Is it, that's right and good. And Jesus modeled that for us. But is it necessary for someone to be dunked in the water in order to be saved by Jesus? That's the question. Some would say no. Many, I heard some no's. Um, but some would say yes. And I understand why. And, and because... The interesting thing about this one is it runs an exact, exact parallel, exact parallel to what they were debating in Acts chapter 15. You know why, like, in order to become Jewish men, you as a representative of your family, if your family was choosing to convert to Judaism, why you would have to undergo the procedure of circumcision? Because they wanted that outward symbol of commitment to symbolize your inward covenant commitment to the Lord. This, is, this was like to show just how committed you are to following God. And this had been the game plan that God had set in motion all throughout the history of him assembling for himself a people. Now fast forward to 21st century when Jesus did his work on the cross, continues to do his work in and through us. We have this thing that we use now as a symbol of our covenant called baptism that many have come to believe that you're not saved until you get dunked under the water. Now, probably one of the most popular and cliche um, press back against that would be, you know, there was a thief on the cross that confessed Jesus as Lord and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, but they weren't able to stop the whole execution to pull him off the cross for him to get dunked. So maybe, maybe, maybe though, Maybe Jesus made a special exception because of the circumstances. And you may be right, but like, man, like when does that stop and how do we know where the exceptions are? Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, seems to be much more orderly than that. So we're not having to like use a subjective reasoning all the time. But there are some scriptures that... Uh, Some of us have clinged to, to believe that, well, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. So let's just take a close look at a few of those together, shall we? Because this is such a big deal, and this is probably the closest thing we have to what they were experiencing in Acts chapter 15. Um, Dustin, what about 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3 is where Peter tells us, he gives us this analogy of Noah and his family being saved through the water Um, you know, way back in the day of knowing the ark, knowing his family saved through the water. And by the time we get to verse 21, Peter even says, um, you know, knowing his family were brought safely through the water. And he says these words, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Period. Oh, comma, on mine. And so it's like, whoa, like that's a pretty bold statement. No, in the ark, he gives us analogy of them being saved through water, and now he's saying like baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, pay close attention. I put it on the screen because I wanted you to see it for yourself. Peter's like, uh, just to make sure you're not confused of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the removal of dirt from the body. He's not. I'm not talking about. Even though I gave you a water analogy, I'm not talking about you being dunked in water. I'm actually talking about the baptism of an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about baptism in water. He's talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit as we appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus. Well, Dustin, how do you know that for sure? I mean, you can kind of play with the words and make it make sense either way. If, okay, here's, here's another reason how I know for sure. If Peter was giving us an analogy of Noah and the ark to signify what he meant, which he's in the middle of an analogy about that, Obviously, he couldn't have meant, well, people jumped in the water, and that's what saved them, could it? The last time I remember, anybody that was in the water didn't make it. Anybody want to debate that? You know what I'm saying? It wasn't the water that saved anybody, was it? It was the, it was the ark. The analogy he's running there, it's not saying jump in the water because it can save you. He's saying jump on the ark because it's the only thing that can save you. Jesus is the true and better ark. This is why he says, I'm not talking about washing filth off your body here. What I'm talking about is your appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. That's what baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. All right? Again, if you have questions, we'll talk about it more. Let's jump to another. What about when Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after he preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Um, and right before they got saved, they look at Peter and they said, oh my gosh, we've been so impacted by this message. Um, What must we do then to be saved? And Peter says in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, well, you need to repent and be baptized, which I'm convinced that Peter really believed had to happen simultaneously in order for people to be saved until we got to Acts chapter 10. Remember when Peter showed up to Cornelius' house and for the first time he saw the Spirit of God fall on these Gentile people and they hadn't been in the water yet. Peter was so blown away at Cornelius' house, so transformed by seeing, wow, God's not only saving Gentiles, but he's saving them without any water. They saw the Spirit of God fall on these people and their lives were changed. They even started speaking in tongues. So he knew that they knew King Jesus. This was like signified the whole thing for them. And then he started looking, hey, Is there some place we can baptize these guys as a public symbol of the covenant? Wasn't about water baptism at all. He's talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. What about this one time Jesus Jesus and Nicodemus, though, talked about it. Remember, Dustin, in John chapter 3, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, well, you have to be born again of water and the Spirit. This is what happened, John chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think we would all agree on that. We must be born again. But much like us, Nicodemus has some questions like, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he just, for the second time, jump back into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, here it is. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And just to make sure we knew what he was talking about, he expounds even further and says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus is just answering directly Nicodemus' question. What are you trying to say, Jesus? We're supposed to jump back into our mother's womb and be reborn? He says, no, no, no. You've already been born of the flesh. You've already been born of the water. When your mama's water broke, you were born of the water. He says, you simply being alive through physical birth is not the rebirth I'm talking about. He says, you must be reborn through the spirit. You catching the parallel? Jesus gives us a couple of examples there to make sure we're getting it. That he's not, he's not even talking about baptism at all right here. It's not, I mean, it's used a lot in those debates, but this isn't even about baptism. This is like, so Nicodemus understood that he had to truly come to a place of being reborn in the spirit by trusting in the words and work of Jesus in order to be saved. Now, I know some of y'all may have some more questions or want to discuss or debate that further. We'd be glad to talk to you about it. The point here is not offending anyone. It's setting you free. If you're a believer of Jesus, I hope that you will follow the Lord and believer's baptism. He does model that for us. That That is a right and good next step of our walk with Jesus to be baptized. But it's not Jesus plus baptism equals salvation. And while we're speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here we go. Here we go. I've been told, and even had scriptures used, and we've seen it all through the book of Acts, people come to faith in Christ. And what signified that, I even referenced it a few minutes ago, what signified that is the fact that they spoke in tongues. I've been told by... Godly man that I love, that, um, that I am not yet saved or fully saved, I don't remember what the terms they used, um, until how I know that I have truly received the Holy Spirit is I'll start speaking in tongues. Uh, many of us have heard that before. This isn't new news to some folks. Some folks, you may be like, what in the world are you talking about speaking in tongues? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me just take you to what the apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or 12 verse 4. He says, "Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but it's the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone." To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each believer, to each person that confesses Jesus is Lord, you are given 100% of his Holy Spirit on that moment of confession, on that moment of acknowledging that he is Lord and King. You are then baptized in the Holy Spirit at that point. And then part of that baptism is the Spirit gives, we call them spiritual gifts, or Paul says right here, a different manifestations of the Holy Spirit in your life of how he displays himself in us, through us, and as us. And here's what he says. He says, to each is given his manifestation. He says, but for one, he's given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now, to others, he's given the utterance of knowledge. Now, according to the same Spirit, um, uh, to others, faith. And by the same Spirit, he gives the gift of healing to others, And by one spirit, uh, by one spirit to another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the ability to discern or distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But here's the point all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, some do, some don't, no one must. But there's a lot of different gifts. There's a lot of different displays of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, and none of us share the same ones, thank God. We are the body, we are each a unique expression of the life of Christ. There is only one thing that that is clear evidence of the Holy Spirit, and it comes from Jesus when he told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It's on your T-shirts, those of you that have your GBC T-shirts. That's the one. That's the one. Some of y'all don't speak in tongues. Some some of y'all do. Uh, Some of our pastors and elders have the gift of tongues. Some of us do not. My brother speaks in tongues. I do not. I have prayed for the gift of tongues. I have practiced the gift of tongues. I even tried to fake the gift of tongues. (laughs) And I just couldn't get it to happen. But it seems so cool, you know what I'm saying? I want that one, but I don't have that one. I don't have that one. But yet the Lord just, through his spirit, manifests different gifts, different characteristics of the character of God displayed through each believer in a different way. To each is apportioned for them specifically and to everybody gets different kinds of stuff. Isn't that beautiful? This is how he works. I don't know where we got this crazy idea that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Somebody made that up. It was Jesus plus speaking in tongues equals salvation. That's called legalism. That's law. We made that up. That's not right and good and true. But like, and Here's the point. Like, and I'll leave you with this. Gosh, there's so much more we need to talk about, but we just ain't going to have time. So please read the rest of that chapter. But listen to me. Like, This is why legalism is so dangerous. This is why Jesus plus fill in the blank with anything you want is so dangerous. Number one is because it will... Cause people to feel guilty that shouldn't feel guilty. That's a problem. But what's worse and what's even more dangerous? Legalism, Jesus plus fill in the blank. Legalism will cause people to feel okay that shouldn't feel okay. That's the dangerous one. There are many, and I bet that there are even many in this room, possibly, that have mistaken a relationship with Jesus for Christian habits, behaviors, and disciplines. Now, a relationship with Jesus is going to yield Christian habits, behaviors, and disciplines, but they also could be mutually exclusive, You could do all the right Christian habits, behaviors, disciplines, have perfect church attendance, lead a small group, give to foreign missions, pray regularly, do all the things, but yet still not know the king of glory. This is a reality we must grapple with. It's not Jesus plus those things. It's Jesus, it's Christ and in him alone. And out of of that relationship will flow these other things. He'll create those things. He is divine. We are the branches. He produces fruit through us. But this is a dangerous one. People that feel okay that shouldn't feel okay because they have created a religion and they follow a certain religious regiment and now they believe that they truly are walking with Jesus but have never re- truly come to a place of confessing him as the Lord of their life. And Jesus actually warned us about this group. Jesus said, on that day, the day of Je- on that day, There will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, but didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we have like record church attendance? Didn't we lead a small group and volunteer? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That reminds me that Christian habits and behaviors and disciplines can never replace a real relationship with the king of glory whose name is Jesus. And as you learn to walk with him, those things will naturally start coming out of you. And yeah, there's healthy ways to walk with Jesus with these disciplines, but that is not your salvation. Jesus is. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's it. That's it. We got to go. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we are thankful for you and we know that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray that you would nurture in us these Christian habits and behaviors and disciplines, Lord, because I know that they honor you. But Lord, for the ones that have made religion out of relationship and have missed the king of glory altogether, I pray that you would break through and that you would capture their heart. For the ones that are wandering off, deeply steeped in sin and yet trying to pretend like they walk with Jesus, yet have no care in the world about what he would have for their life, Lord, I pray that you would break through, that you would grab a hold of them. And for those of us who just struggle to walk in the middle ground of learning to walk with Jesus and yield all the stuff of life, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be our God. In Jesus' name we pray.